And let's jump in. Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity today to uh, be here with this amazing group of people that you love and people that love one another. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us through your Holy Spirit, because we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today and really in the days ahead here for a little while. Help us, Lord, as we reflect on this topic today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last year, as we were working through various, various different topics and subjects, and we spent some time reflecting, and, uh, and you'll recall we had the day where we took some time for feedback and to interact, kind of the pulse check day. And some things came out of that that are, that are very important to this community. And we're structuring this year in the topics that we're going to be talking about on Sabbath related to what came out of those discussions. There were, there were at least three very important points that were made in that. One was the importance in the place of worship in our lives. And we'll take some time this year to talk about the, the topic of worship and the reality of worship. And in that context, I just want to thank Kathy and Aliyah and Jared for, for leading us out this morning and demonstrating that there are a lot of different ways we can do this, and it's still a very powerful experience. We can have a whole band up here, and that's awesome. We can have pieces of a band up here, and that's awesome. We can have different people involved. And, uh, and Laura, as well, has demonstrated to us powerful worship in the context of music. But there's work we need to do in our own hearts that will make these experiences even more powerful. We'll get to that. We're not going to start the year with that. We also want to spend some time talking about the idea of our love for one another and the focus of love for one another. I know for sure we want to do it, and I know for sure in a lot of cases it's being done extremely well, but I also know for sure that Jesus said this was an incredibly important point. He said, uh, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. So it's supposed to be a, a very clear marker that anyone who comes into this community says, wow, you must be disciples of Jesus because the way you guys love one another is just remarkable. So it's a very important point, and we can never emphasize it enough, and we'll spend some time on that as well. But there was a third issue that came up, and that issue had to do with with witness, but more than just witness, it really had to do with the reality of being a community filled with the Holy Spirit and having a witness that grows out of that reality. And so we decided, Jay and I in discussion decided, we would start this year focusing on the subject of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're going to spend time in January and in February on this topic, talking about different realities of the Holy Spirit. And it's possible, if everybody really behaves themselves and are really nice, that Alicia might give us a sermon in the midst of this. So it's not for sure yet. So, so, so beg and plead, and I think this will work out, but I think it's going to be really good, because... <laughs> Sorry, because I've heard this one before, and it's a really good sermon, and I want you to hear it. But anyway, so uh, afterward, you can go up to her and, and ask if she'll do that. So that will be a good plan. Yeah. All right. 
Okay, but today, we're going to spend our time today in a chapter that you probably know well, but you may not have thought about it in the context specifically of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you to take the Bible in front of you there. I'll be using that translation, the English Standard Version. Take that one out. And turn to John chapter 14, because we're going to basically be exclusively in this chapter. Now, this chapter takes place right at the close of Jesus' ministry, right before he is about to suffer and die on the cross. In fact, this is the night before. And John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all Jesus talking to his disciples the night before he's crucified. That's pretty remarkable if you think about it, right? I think there's 21 chapters in John and he spends five chapters on the night before he dies. So we know by this emphasis that in John's mind, the words that Jesus said that night are extremely important for them to take up that much of the story. So we're going to go to John chapter 14, and it starts with words that you probably are very familiar with. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Okay, now that in and of itself is a fabulous, glorious text. And in fact, I consider it one of the three core realities, one of the three core things you have to believe if you really are going to truly be a Christian. The, the three in my mind are this. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the first confession of Christianity. When you come to believe that Jesus is in fact the Messiah and the Son of God, on that day you've become Christian. But there's a, a related belief to that. If Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is the living God? What is his identity? That identity statement begin, it takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Who is the living God? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Who is God? He's the creator. But there's a third. And the third has to do with the wrapping up of the fullness of God's plan. Jesus can be the Christ and the Savior, and, and God can be the Creator, but if they can't put this mess back in order, why does it really matter? That reality is contained in this promise of Jesus that He will come again. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. Jesus is Savior, God is Creator, and the promise of the return of Jesus to establish all things. These are the core realities, the core beliefs that we cannot prove independently, but we receive them by faith. So, so Jesus is making this statement, but understand contained in this statement is the reality that there's going to be a separation. Jesus says, I am going to go away but if I go, I will come again. So contained in this is the reality. The disciples are used to Jesus being with them. But now the reality is he is going to be somewhere else. And there will be, it seems, a period of separation. 
And then he says, I will come again. Now, this is very relevant because we're going to address in this topic this concept of this separation and what will happen during that time. How can we live without the presence of the Lord? Well, as it turns out, we don't have to. But let's see that as it emerges here. Verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we've all heard this phrase before. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But I'm not sure we have hung on to it as we should have truly in our hearts. Because we want the way to Jesus to be directions that I can pull up on my phone, right? I punch in Jesus and it shows me how to go there. But that's not how it works. The way is faith in a person, and that person is Jesus. Now he says, I'm also the truth. And we're tempted in that regard to say, oh, he, Jesus teaches the truth, or the truth is a body of teaching or a body of doctrine. But no, the truth is the reality of Jesus. And all of those teachings that we do just help us to understand who Jesus is. So we don't put our faith in our truth. We put our faith in Jesus. And life. We want life to be uh, uh, the notion of a, a continuous existence. But the true reality about life has less to do with my heartbeat and my breath than it does to do with the one who is life. So when my faith is in the one who is life, even if my heartbeat stops, even if my breath is gone, he can restore all things. So he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to them, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his, in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus is saying, I have come to reveal the Father. If you have seen me and to the extent you have understood what I'm doing here, then you have understood the Father. This is why it's essential that our faith starts with Jesus. Now there is Old Testament revelation of God. It's absolutely there. But if you go to the book of Hebrews, you will understand when the, the author of Hebrews says, God has in the past in many ways revealed himself through us through prophets and through works and through miracles and all these things. But in these days, he has most clearly revealed himself through Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is not to say there's no value in the Old Testament. You throw it out. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying to you is start with Jesus if you want to fully understand the Father. And then go everywhere else. Start with the life, the ministry, and the teaching of Jesus. That's where it begins for us. Because he is the clearest revelation of the Father. He says, so the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. In the works I do, the Father has given me to do. I am here to reveal the Father to you. And I am the way for you to be connected to the Father. You remember back in chapter 1 of John, he said, to all who believed, he gave the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. So it is through Jesus that we are connected. And it is through Jesus that we must filter everything that all of Scripture says from beginning to end. Kind of think that's maybe what Japheth meant by Jesus all. What do you think? Is that pretty close? I think we're getting there. Yeah. All right. We'll keep working on that. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. All right. This is, this is where it gets a little, a little weird. Jesus is talking about... Uh, what is to come here? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Man, we have a hard time with that, don't we? Because on the one hand, it kind of sounds like this is saying, okay, it's all up to me and whatever I want is going to happen. Or on the other hand, we go the other way with it and say, because exactly what I wanted didn't happen, this doesn't work, there's nothing to this. And so we end up either, either asking ridiculous things or trying to do ridiculous things in our own strength or we just kind of give up on the whole thing and we don't even ask, we don't even try. I'm pretty sure neither one of those is the right thing. Experience has taught me that Jesus isn't saying whatever I want will happen. But experience has also taught me that to give up asking, to give up trying, is wrong. Because God intends to do a work in the world. Now, how is this all going to happen? We're still building up to it. We're still building up to this larger reality. How can we do greater works than Jesus? How can this make sense at all? Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, we've had a tendency with a verse like that, and we do it with 1 John as well, we have a tendency with a verse like that because of our, our Adventist orientation to say to ourselves, oh, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And that works really well with certain versions of our theology that have placed certain things in different contexts and, and of difference in importance. And, and, and I'm not going to argue that point. I, I don't think that's wrong. But before we go there, there's somewhere else we should go. In the very previous chapter, in chapter 13, Jesus has said, this is my commandment, love one another. 
Before we get to the Ten Commandments, let's try to go with the one that happened in the chapter before, all right? Let's try to do that one first. Absolutely, he's talking about that. That is clearly a commandment that he gave. He also talked about the greatest commandment in the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I think let's focus there. Now, yes, the Ten Commandments, I think they're a part of this. I think they fit into this. I think they come along with this. And I think we're blessed by keeping them. And I'm going to let you in on something here that uh, I haven't generally made public, but, uh, but is going to become apparent soon enough. I'm actually, uh, I'm honored that I'm actually having a book published. I don't know how many of you knew about that. Some of you did know about that, but I actually have a book being published. Yeah, Brigitte knows about it. She took the picture of me that will appear on the back cover, so that's kind of cool. Right in there, took it in my office. So Pacific Press is publishing a book that is actually from uh, a series of manuscripts from a series of sermons I did on the Ten Commandments. So I'm a big fan of the Ten Commandments. I'm all about the Ten Commandments, but understood in the right context. And uh, when you have all graciously gone out and supported your pastor and bought his new book, that will be awesome. Um, but, uh, but you'll see in there, the, the core premise of the book is that God didn't give us the 10 to save us from hell when we die. He gave us Jesus for that. He gave us the 10 to save us from living in hell until we die. You see, the reality of the Ten Commandments is they're how, they're how reality works. It's like gravity. You know, I don't get to just ignore gravity. It happens whether I want it to or not. It's the same with the Ten Commandments. You live contrary to these things and your life will be a mess. You live in harmony with these things and your life will stay in order. So, so that's the main theme of it. I probably shouldn't have told you. Now you don't have to buy it. But anyway, that's coming out sometime early this year. So... So I'm kind of excited about that. That's kind of fun. But anyway, let's get back to this. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And now here is the key to our topic. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, this is a very important passage here. Now, the word that is translated in the English uh, Standard Version, do I have that name right? Yeah, that's what that is, um, is helper. But if you read this in some other versions, you'll get different words. In another word, you'll, in, in some other translations, you'll get advocate. In some other translations, you'll get the word counselor. The word here in Greek is parakletos. I'm not great at Greek, but I think that's close. Now, what's interesting about this word, it's actually a compound word if you break it down. It's para, which means to be beside, and kletos, which means to speak for. And it actually was a legal term. And it was a term used for the one 
who came beside you when you were in some sort of legal proceeding and spoke on your behalf. So you can see advocate, counselor, helper, all of these things are getting at the meaning. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to send you someone to be beside you to help you, to speak up for you, to be there for you. It's a pretty powerful promise that he's making right here. He goes on, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So the very initial purpose of Jesus introducing to them this this reality, this, this paraclete who is going to be with them is there for the purpose so that they don't feel like orphans. Why would they feel like orphans? Because they've put their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus and he's about to go away. And they're going to feel like, oh no, we're on our own. But Jesus says, no, I've got a plan for this. I'm going to send you something that will be the equivalence of my presence with you. Now that's hard for us to grasp because we're concrete. It, it seems more concrete that Jesus is literally there. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to send into the world a power from the Father that can do even more than I, Jesus could do in that moment. Why is this? Well, by taking on flesh, Jesus became subject to the reality of three dimensions in time. Now, I don't know what he was subject to before. I don't know how all that works. I don't understand spirits. I don't get that. But I do know that humans live in three-dimensional reality, breathe air, eat food, drink water, what did Jesus do after he was resurrected to prove he was reality? He said, you got any food there? Give me some of that. See, that's what real flesh does. And that's what we are. We are the image of God in this reality of space and time. And Jesus became one of us. But by becoming one of us, he gave up the capacity to be everywhere at once. But that's all right. God has an answer for this. God has a way to make it so that Jesus can still be everywhere at once. And it's called the advocate. It's called the helper. It's called the counselor. It's called the one who stands beside. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because... I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, is, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. How is he going to do this? See, this is all part of this explanation. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, 
and we will come to him and make our home with him. How can this be? Jesus, you're going away. You're going to the Father. How can you and the Father come and be in us if you're somewhere else? Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now listen, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. All right, so let's unpack that a little bit. I've told you these things while I'm with you, but I'm going to go away. And you're worried about that because you think you're going to forget what I told you. But you don't have to worry about that because I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the advocate. I'm going to send the one who will stand beside you. In fact, will be within you. And the one who comes to be within you will bring the presence of the Father and the Son. We will be with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is not optional. This is incredibly important for every believer that the presence of the Holy Spirit be within them. Because it is through the Holy Spirit that God will remind us of the things we've learned when we need it. That he will teach us the things we've never fully understood. That he will enable us to stand for the right in that moment when, when we feel like we're all on our own. And what will the result of that be? Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. One of the fruits of the reality of this Holy Spirit presence from God being in our lives is peace even in storms. Even in hardships. Even in trials. One of the signs that we have received the presence of God into our heart is, that, is this peace that passes understanding. That's such a great line, isn't it? I have peace even though there's no rational reason for me to have it. Some of you have been in positions in your life where you've, you've needed that peace. Some of you are in them right now. Nothing about reality rationally means you should be at peace. But the promise of God through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is that you can have that peace in your heart, even in the times of trial. Verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded so that the world may know that I love the Father. 
rise, let us go from here. So, so there's so many good things in this chapter 14 that we should spend time on and reflect on. But the piece I most want you to take away today is this reality that the means by which God accomplishes his purpose in this period between when Jesus was on the earth and when Jesus comes again is through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not limited to one at a time. So he's not just with Gordy or just with Russell or just with Jackie. We don't have to wait our turn. The Holy Spirit is able to bring the presence of Jesus to every one of us in this room, in this town, if people want him, in this state, in this country, in the world. Does that boggle your mind? Completely blows my mind can bring the presence of Jesus so powerfully, it is as if you are the only one in communication with him. So those times you've thought you're crazy, you know, when you're like, man, I feel like I'm talking to God, but there's so many people in the world. How in the world can, how in the world can I have a one-on-one relationship with God when there are billions of people? I actually know this one. It's called the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit, you are capable of having a personal, singular relationship with God. The Holy Spirit enables the presence of Jesus anywhere anyone is asking. So if you feel like you've kind of had a a personal interaction with Jesus, you're not crazy. That's how it's supposed to be. Maybe you and Jesus even have inside jokes. Maybe there's stuff you guys share that nobody else knows. In fact, I hope there is. That's how it's supposed to be. I'm going to ask the band to come back up here because we're going to do a really awesome song after this one that Eliah wrote. But before I do that, if you feel like what I'm saying sounds just a little crazy... If you've got a little more confidence in Ellen White maybe than you do in me, let me read you this. This is from Steps to Christ, page 100. Keep your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares, and your fears before God. Think about it. Think about it in your own life. Think about your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares, your fears. All of that stuff, keep it before God. You cannot burden him. You cannot weary him. He who numbers the hairs of your head, that's easier for some of us than others. He who numbers the hairs of your head is not indifferent to the wants of his children. His heart of love is touched by our sorrows and even by our utterance of them. Don't hold it inside. Don't try to keep it from him. He already knows you have an advocate beside you. 
Paul says when you don't know how to pray, he'll get it for you. Just groan. Jesus is with you through the Holy Spirit every minute. Take to him everything that perplexes the mind. Nothing is too great for him to bear, for he holds up worlds. He rules over the affairs of the universe. Nothing that in any way concerns our peace is too small for him to notice. Don't ever think, ah, this is stupid. I'm not going to mention that to God. No, all of it. All of it. He's not blown away because he has this thing called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to be inside every one of us. There is no chapter in our experience too dark for him to read. There is no perplexity too difficult for him to unravel. No calamity can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harass the soul. No joy cheer. No sincere prayer escape the lips of which our Heavenly Father is unobservant or in which he takes no immediate interest. The relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though there were not another soul upon the earth to share his watch care not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son let not your hearts be troubled you believe in God in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. But until he comes again, you have the Holy Spirit who is God with us. Every one of us. 